Well, you can be seated and let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 22. We'll just read verse 1 of chapter 22. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. I'd like to speak to you tonight on the cool, clear water of life. There's an old country western song. Um, it's probably 60 years old. About a man and his mule or his horse by the name of Dan and it describes a situation where this man and his his uh, mule or horse were struggling through a blistering desert and seeing mirage after mirage day after day looking for water cool clear water uh, the name of the song is Cool Water, and uh, it was written by a man named Bob Nolan, who is part of a singing group called the uh, Sons of the Pioneers. I know that's not too interesting, but uh, the song, I used to listen to it quite a bit, and I liked the song, and uh, I didn't realize until just... Uh, a year or two ago when I was looking up the lyrics on the internet that there's actually a, a line or a, a part of the song that usually doesn't get sung in the well-known renditions of it. The, the song, uh, if you're not familiar with it, let me just quote a few lines here. <clears throat> All day I've faced a barren waste without a taste of water, cool water. Old Dan and I with throats, throats burned dry and souls that cry for water. And there's a chorus that says, Keep a moving, Dan. He's talking to his horse or mule. Don't listen to him, Dan. He's a devil, not a man, and he spreads the burning sand with water. Old Dan, can you see that big green tree where the water's running free and it's waiting there for, for you and me? Cool, clear water. He's talking about the mirage that uh, they're seeing and the devil spreading the burning sand with water. The nights are cool and I'm a fool. Each star is a pool of water, cool water. But with the dawn I'll wake and yawn and carry on for water, cool water. And it goes on. But the, the line or the part that's usually not sung, and it gives a little different idea because basically you think the song's about a guy uh, experiencing these mirage in the desert and just needing water. But the, the line that's uh, usually not sung, I think, is the most significant one. It says, Dan's feet are sore. He yearns for, he's yearning for just one thing more than water, cool water. Like me, I guess, he'd like to rest where there's no quest for water, cool water. So... I think that there's a little more of a 
spiritual aspect to the song than what we usually consider. Well, the verse that we're looking at tonight says that there is a river of water, a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. So I'd like to invite you to think with me here a little tonight on the subject of drinking the cool water of life and not settling for a mirage. Life is a, or water is a very appropriate symbol for for life, for spiritual life especially. Just as physical water is necessary for physical life, living water from Christ is necessary for spiritual life and for eternal life. The water flowing from the throne, as we as it's talked about here in this verse, is pictured as a a supply that's vast, it's unending because it's it's presented as a river. In other words, the um, quantity is pictured as unending and abundant. It's a river. Its quality is clear and bright and sparkling. In other words, there's no pollution, no impurities, just cool, clear water. And the water comes from God and the Lamb. So we're told earlier in the book of Revelation concerning this water of life that uh, the Lamb who is our shepherd, will guide us to springs of the water of life. So we have a shepherd that will guide us to the springs of the water of life. Now, Jesus uses this imagery often. For instance, in the book of John, you might remember his conversation with the woman at the well, that Samaritan woman to To her, he said, everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the water there in the well, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is talking about this living water, um, this water of life that he can give and it will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Or you might consider what he said related to the time when he was at one of the great Jewish feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles. He says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So where is this water of life from? Well, it's from God, we're told in Revelation, from God and the Lamb. Here Jesus said, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke of the Spirit. So, again, this imagery of 
the water of life, this living water. And if you go back in the Bible, this imagery that Jesus was using, that John was using here in the book of Revelation, comes, of course, from the Old Testament. It's used often in the Old Testament. You see the world compared to a dry and weary land where there is no water. Of course, that's an image speaking of the spiritual nature of this world. There's no water, no living water, no water of life to be found in the world and its ways. The Jewish people would have been very um, aware of life in the dry and desert regions and how important water was. And they would have been familiar with this thing of a mirage. So if we just take the book of Isaiah, for instance, I mean, you could find this imagery used throughout the Old Testament, but <clears throat> just think of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 41, 17 and 18 says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and dry land springs of water. He said, when, when the people, my people are thirsty and there's nothing that's satisfying and they seek for water and there is none, then God says, I'll open up, I'll open up the springs of water in the dry land. Isaiah 44, 3 says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings upon your descendants. So, again, the picture of the Holy Spirit here being poured out and in a dry and thirsty land. Isaiah 55, 1, Ho, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. That's God inviting everyone that's thirsty, come to the waters. Isaiah 58, 11, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters will do not fail. And then Isaiah 12, 3. Therefore you will joyously draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. So God supplying water from the wells of salvation. But the one that I saved till last because I want to expand on it a little bit is in Isaiah 35. 6 and 7, so let's turn to that one. Isaiah 35. <clears throat> we just kind of jump into the middle of the flow here, but it says then, in verse 6, 35, 6, Then the lame will leap like a deer... And the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. And the scorched land will become a pool, 
and the thirsty ground springs of water. And uh, if you look in the margin on verse 7, that phrase that says scorched land can also be translated the mirage. The mirage will become a pool. Some commentators actually say that's the best translation, that the mirage will become a pool. So I just want us to think about this picture that God is giving here throughout the scriptures, especially in relationship to this idea of a mirage in the desert. You know, a mirage is a, it's a natural phenomenon found in, in uh, dry places, hot, dry places, where the sun is shining upon the sand. Sometimes you can see it in a little way, even in Missouri, along the highway when it looks like there's water floating on there, on the, on the surface of the highway on a hot day. But it's much more prevalent in the desert, um, in the sand, and it gives the appearance of a sheet of water being out there in front of you. If you could just get up there, you could get the, the water. You could have your thirst quenched. If you arrive at that spot where you see that, you're going to be satisfied. But the problem is when you get there, you find out there's nothing there, just sand, no water. It's an illusion. It's a mirage. So you look on, you go after some more, you spend more time wandering in the wilderness, and again you see another sheet of water up there and you go after that and again you're deluded it's just an illusion you've gone after a mirage and so uh, just like the song said that we began with all day I've faced the barren waste without a taste of water cool water and I think one of the pictures that the Bible wants to give us is that that's the way the world is. And that's what the devil will do with your life. He'll put these mirage out in front of you, making you think this is what's going to satisfy. This is what's going to bring joy and peace and happiness. But when you get there, you find out it's empty. It's dry. There never was anything there. You just thought there was. Let me just mention a few of these mirage that we have to be careful not to be fooled by in our journey through this life, this desert land, as we're looking for rest and peace and joy and the water of life. Here's some that we don't want to chase after. There's the humanitarian mirage. That is, we think that our purpose in life should be to better society, to immerse ourselves in bettering mankind through politics or education or social reform. Now, such things can do some good, but they're a mirage in terms of dealing with the sinful hearts of those around us and with our own deep sin needs. You never, you never get them taken care of that way. It's an illusion. So that would be what I call the humanitarian mirage. But then 
there's the pleasure mirage. We seek for happiness and peace and and just joy in life by living for the pleasures of the day. That would be things like entertainment or money or possessions or power, whatever the next thrilling endeavor seems to be. There it is in front of you, and you think, now, if I could get to that, if I could have that, then then things would be the way they should be. But if you get there, you find out it's a mirage. It's empty. It's dry. It never was what you thought it was. You see, I think of that um, phrase, I think it was Augustine, that said that thou hast made us for thyself. God has made us for himself, and our hearts are restless till we find rest in him. And our hearts are thirsty, you see, until our thirst is quenched in him. And all these other things that look so good floating out there in front of us won't do it because we weren't made that way. And the thing that looks like water isn't really, it's not the water of life. It's not living water. So the pleasure mirage won't satisfy. I mean, we ought to, we ought to know that just from reading the paper. Then there's the really, really big mirage of religion. Probably the biggest one. Religion itself. For some, this has to do with ceremonies and rituals and all kinds of external observances that give the feeling of peace and joy temporarily. But it's a mirage. For some, it's keeping a bunch of rules and regulations that make you feel like you're doing okay. But again, it's a mirage. For some, it's self-denial and self-mortification and self-abasement, severe treatment of the body. Such things, we're told, have the appearance of wisdom, but it's only an appearance. What's that mean? It means it's a mirage, you see, and of no value. Such things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They don't really satisfy the thirsty soul, nor do they deal with sin. They just have an appearance of doing that. False religion is a big mirage all around the world. Thousands are going after that and being let down. They end up leaving as thirsty as they came and uh, not having their sin really dealt with. Why is, it, why, why is religion such a mirage? Because it doesn't really get to the source of the water. It's not based on the historical reality of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Only the gospel can truly satisfy the thirsty soul. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, it's based upon a reality, the reality of what Christ has done. Not based on all these things that you can do, not based on a bunch of, of uh, philosophy, uh, not based on just a bunch of um, religious um, make-believe, but based on what Christ has actually done in time and space. Lloyd-Jones says it this way. He says, The gospel of Jesus Christ is something entirely different. It pictures us in the desert with the sun blazing upon us. We are all tired and weary and exhausted. We have been running after mirages. We have tried pleasures, and they have not, fill, they, they have not filled us. We've had our fill. They have taken something out of us, and have left us empty. We have searched here and there. We are struggling in the desert called life. What's the use of asking such a person to make a new New Year's resolution? What's the use of asking such a man to climb a mountain, you know, to do this next religious thing? What's the use of asking that man, such a man, to be perfect? We can't do it. We're tired and weary. What we need is rest and peace and refreshment and a new life. If I say nothing else, may that be abundantly plain and clear. The gospel does not ask you to do anything in the first instance, but just comes to you, just come to Christ. You're in a wilderness in the desert, and there, I tell you, is the very thing you need it is there that you find the water of life in a person, not, not what you do, but who he is and what he's done. The good shepherd will not guide you to a mirage. He brings you to the quiet waters. He brings you to himself. And gives you the water of life. Again, this is what he was saying. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me, not to what you can do, but what he's done. Let him come to me and drink. So, back in the book of Revelation, in the last chapter, the first verse says, And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. But then, in verse 17, we're told this, Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take of the water of life without cost. So, 
what an invitation we have from God himself to come by don't be fooled by all the mirage mirages that are there out in front of us come to the one place where we can find the true water of life the living water and that's in Christ himself And I think it's a matter of continually drinking. I think it's a matter of learning more and more of what Christ has done for us and resting in that, trusting in that, putting our lives each day into his hands and finding the cool, clear water that's there that he's promised for us. And it's a matter of not getting sidetracked by this mirage and that mirage because they're, they're always out there floating, deceiving, alluring us to look in the wrong place, get our focus on something else. We've got to keep coming back to the only place where there is this water of life, which is in Christ. So, I, uh, I think I'll close there and just, uh, I mean, the whole message basically is come to the clear water of life and don't get pulled off the way by a, a mirage that can easily do that if we're not careful. Well, let's pray. <clears throat>